Welcome to the British American Business Council Los Angeles podcast. The BABCLA is a vibrant organization and part of the largest transatlantic business network celebrated across the US and UK. Each episode, you'll hear enlightening interviews on timely subjects with British and American experts across industries. Today, we're joined by multi-award-winning showbiz journalist and the ultimate Hollywood insider, Sandro Minetti. Good morning, everybody. My name is James Langridge. And by now, you probably know that I am the president of the British American Business Council here in Los Angeles. And I'm back again today with another live cast event with the absolutely wonderful Sandro Minetti. Sandro, good morning. How are you? Good morning, James. And I believe I am partly responsible for the BABC podcast. Because isn't it true, after you appeared on my podcast, who's the best? Uh, you thought, I am a master broadcaster and I can do this. Sandro, you, you hit the nail on the head. I cannot take any credit for something that's all your fault. Thank you very much <laughs> for that. And welcome again. It's so great. I'm so pleased that we found time to make this work today. You are a busy man. You have had an, an incredible career of multi-different facets, of multi-different things that you've done. And we are here today to talk more about that. I know that you have a book out, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. I'd love to hear about your time and career with BAFTA as well. Note we have uh, the head of BAFTA on this morning, Matthew Wiseman. Matthew, welcome. I'm sure you're going to have some questions for Sandro. So feel free, anybody who's dialing in right now and listening, if you just look to the bottom of the screen, and there is a Q&A section. Feel free to take a look at that. If you've got any questions, by all means, please write in there. We will get to all of them. Sandro's not going to get away easy from this. So if you've got any questions, send them over and we will ask him everything. But Sandro, once again, welcome. I'm so glad that we're speaking today. 2020 was an interesting year for everybody. I'm sure that you had some challenges as well, or maybe not. But just tell us, how did you fill the time? Well, I've always lived my business life by the letters ABC, which stands for always be creating. Uh, it's always about putting content out there. And a lot of us have been able to turn the terrible negatives of the situation into a positive. And so in my case, it was uh, very problematic because one of the things that I do is, uh, is being a live event host with no live events. Uh, spend my time rubbing shoulders with the stars at Hollywood parties. So you think, okay, what is the solution here to the problem? And in my case, I thought, well, for years, I've been meaning to write a book because when people hear that I've interviewed uh, just about every single famous name on the planet, they always ask what's so-and-so like. So I thought, well, now I have that extra time in the day with, with no commute, no time at the events to actually knuckle down and write the book. And so the result is Confessions of a Hollywood Insider, my amusing encounters with the, with the A-list. So I wrote that and uh, then I, I put it out as an audio book as well. And it's been lovely to share the stories with the world. And that's one way that I use the time to a positive. Well, that is absolutely wonderful. And Sandra, I understand that the hardback version of that book is about to launch as well. When is that about to launch? 
That comes out uh, April 7th, courtesy of Riff, a wonderful brand integration company. And it's already out now as an audio book on Audible and a paperback and an ebook as well from Amazon and all major retailers. And the idea is that um, it's a comedy book, essentially, because when I look back on my interaction with all these celebrities, I, I thought, well, I am such an idiot and I am the butt of the joke a lot of the time because I'm still that same starstruck kid who wanted to come to Hollywood and be a showbiz reporter in the first place. And you'd think by now I might have maintained a, a sense of cool around these celebrities, but but no. And and so there's a hundred stories. I've I've headbutted Tom Cruise, I've kissed Madonna, I've peed on Samuel L. Jackson. I've asked Britney Spears out on a date. Uh, and so that's all in Confessions of a Hollywood Insider. Not sure how it reflects on me, but I, I think it's a sort of wonderful testament to celebrity over the last 20 years that I've been in Hollywood. It absolutely is. And Sandra, I just love you. Just honesty. It's just great. And, and that's why people love you. That's why people want to sit down and be interviewed by you. And that kind of brings me to a question is you really have spoken to some unbelievable names in show business. When you know you're going to conduct an interview at that level, how do you prepare for it? Well, uh, you use empathy, for example, and you realize that every interview is a business transaction. You don't need to put the celebrity on a pedestal. And I think my background in British entertainment reporting helps me with this. When I first moved here, I was so surprised by the entertainment TV shows who were treating celebrities a bit like royalty, almost, oh, they're better than us. And uh, no, an interview is an information exchange. So you always keep in mind that you ask the questions that the audience would like to hear, but you do it in a respectful way and a fun way. And the reason I mentioned empathy at the start is the key to interviewing is always to put yourself in the head of the other person. Just because they're a multi-millionaire pop star or movie star doesn't mean they don't have the same fears and insecurities. Everybody's uh, nervous to be interviewed. And so you want to put them at ease, start uh, with a compliment, show great knowledge of their career. And I think when you relax them in that way and you win their confidence, that's why you keep getting invited back to do more and more interviews, whether it's uh, from the Q&A stage, like I've done for BAFTA and other organizations, whether it's for newspapers or magazines or the TV stuff I've done with CNN and the BBC. It's, it's the same format. You basically want to be the audience's representative ask the questions they want to hear and uh, do so in a light and respectful way, hopefully. I love that. Um, sometimes we learn the hard way. Are there any memorable moments where you've asked the wrong question and lived to regret it? Uh, yes, uh, countless. Uh, I, I think my very first night in, in Hollywood, I learned that lesson because the first interview I ever did was the last interview ever done by the great Jimmy Stewart. And when I met him, he looked so much older than I remembered from all those black and white movies I'd watched growing up. And as a rookie reporter, I made the mistake of speaking to him the way I spoke to all old people back then, which was by shouting my questions. It went like this. You were in It's a Wonderful Life. What's been the most wonderful part of your life? Now, Jimmy Stewart graciously put up with this idiot for about 15 minutes and then said, why are you shouting, son? I'm old, but I'm not deaf. So you learn, <laughs> you learn the lesson 
again, don't just presume that somebody is going to be a certain way. Don't judge a book by its cover. So uh, we live and learn. Hopefully I've got better since. <laughs> well, I'm sure you have. I know you have. Obviously, you didn't start your career out here in Hollywood. You started back in the UK. And I know that at your beginning, you started in the much beloved town of Blackpool um, and went from there. What made you want to get into show business? I mean, it's a uh, Everyone thinks they like the idea of it, but then there's an incredible amount of work to get into it. So what was the driving force for you, Sandra? Well, we're all the products of our environment. And you said I grew up in Blackpool, which uh, many of your viewers and listeners may know is, uh, to my mind, the Las Vegas of Britain, the entertainment capital of the North. So I was spoiled by all these great shows. So my formative years were spent watching Cannon and Ball, The Crankies, uh, Jimmy Cricket and The Grumbleweeds. Now, to me, they're as good as Frank Sinatra, Tony Bennett, uh, Celine Dion. I, I just had the love of entertainment from an early age. At the same time as, as well, I was an only child. My parents were working very hard as hoteliers. So I had television as my babysitter, and I was fascinated by the American shows, especially Knight Rider, The A-Team, Manimal. Uh, These characters became my imaginary friends. So Rudyard Kipling said, show me the child at seven, I'll show you the man. And having these early influences uh, on me was already pushing me towards the showbiz direction. And then I had to figure out, well, what part of the entertainment industry do I want to be in? And so I dabbled with various things, whether it would be acting, uh, whether it would be directing. I still do those a little, but I think that what I was best at was was writing and interviewing. So that was my way in. And as I built my career in Britain, I started out on Blackpool's local uh, paper, the uh, the wonderful Evening Gazette, uh, progressed to Smash Hits magazine, for my money, the greatest uh, music magazine in the world of all, all time and then went on to the national tabloids, becoming a a showbiz editor. And the logical next step was to come out to Hollywood, the epicenter of show business. And there I decided that the most important thing was to retain my British sense of humor and keep my feet on the ground because it's very dizzying and a lot of people can get caught up in the atmosphere. But if you just think of Los Angeles as a giant shiny casino where everyone is trying to hit the jackpot. You can enjoy being in that casino without necessarily winning every time. And that was my attitude to it and continues to be. No, I love that. Half the battle is getting here and then the other half is staying here, especially in show business. And there is a business to show business as well. And you certainly built yourself a lovely niche in that market. And like you said, you've spoken to everybody and I love it. And at some point during your career here in Los Angeles, you found your way into BAFTA and you have done some absolutely incredible work with BAFTA. You've also done some incredible humanitarian work as well. Why don't you just talk a little bit about that, Sandro? Because people have no clue really the amount of work that you have done. I know, I know about it for various different reasons, but for the listeners today, just share a little bit about that. The British Academy of Film and Television Arts is often thought about the red carpet and the celebrities. And yes, that's part of it. But BAFTA is a charity, actually, not just a film organization. And part of its mission, the one I was uh, most interested in, is helping people get to that red carpet in the first place. 
and how could we create an elevator to the summit of Hollywood? And what BAFTA LA's various new talent programs do is give access for all. I became very frustrated when I first moved here to see that getting into the business was so much about connections. I thought I'd left this behind in Britain. Oh, what did your father do for a living? And we're, But I realized it existed in Hollywood as well. And I've always thought that the entertainment industry is very much like sports in that everyone has a lot of talent. You just need someone to pass you the ball so you can put it in the goal. So what BAFTA has been able to do through mentorships, connections, and speeches is expose the up-and-coming level of talent from Britain and around the world to the industry so they can actually demonstrate their skills and build their career from there. And in the many years I've been involved in BAFTA as a a board member and co-chair of the New Talent Committee, I'm especially proud of that, giving everybody that opportunity to put the ball in the net. And other charities I've been involved with include the, uh, the Royal Society of St. George, which is the Queen's charity in America, and that serves to slay metaphorical dragons as well. And a lot of it is the same thing I'm, I'm interested in, mentorship as well. I had a dream and was able to make that dream come true. And you get to a certain point in life, especially when you live in a dream factory like Los Angeles, that you want to help others be happy as well. So I'm thrilled to have made that contribution. I've done educational stuff as well. I I lecture in uh, interviewing. I created the world's first degree course in celebrity journalism, which is now taught in British universities. And uh, I I always tell the students, celebrities, they're not like the rest of us. It's not like interviewing somebody else. One thing I admire about actors, for example, with the audition process, they face rejection every single day. When they're superstars, they face rejection on social media every single day. I think that you really need to make it big in Hollywood is is mental strength. I so admire these actors and high-profile figures who are able to take rejections, knockbacks, and like Rocky Balboa, my particular hero, keep coming back, climbing off the canvas. And and I've learned over the years, the bigger the star, the nicer they are, and the more resilient they are. So resilience is a hugely important lesson. I love that. Well, resilience and mental toughness, I think that's words that we hear sometimes. And I'm a big fan of Rocky as well. One of his great lines is, it's not how hard you can hit, it's how hard you can get hit and keep coming back. And I think actually it's not about how hard you hit, it's about how do you get it and keep coming back. <laughs> and See, I knew you'd do it better. I knew it. I just knew you'd do it better, Sam. I've been doing his voice for the audiobook of Confessions of a Hollywood Insider. You know, the, we don't often realise the greatest nights of our life while we're living them, James, but I reflected on the, the one for me was when I was able to bring my childhood hero, Sylvester Stallone, over to England, to Manchester, in fact, and do a one-on-one interview with Sylvester Stallone in front of 5,000 fans at the arena there. And I was so... Tell us a little bit about... Tell us more about that, Sandra, because that is quite incredible. Sylvester Stallone is an icon. Everyone knows him. And he's your hero. He's my hero as well. I mean, how? just talk us through the whole thing. Well... One thing that I I learned about Sylvester Sloan, another reason he succeeded in show business, is he knows his business value. Yet he is very much a Renaissance man. He's into art, literature, 
and poetry. But to the audience, he's Adrian. You know, he's Rocky and Rambo, and he will play that card for the public and be a totally different figure off stage. But a wonderful guy, and really, really liked him. But I was almost ready to throttle him for that show in Manchester because we were about to start the evening, and one minute to curtain up, I look through the the crowd. I see thousands of fans chanting, "We want Rocky! We want Rocky!" We want rocket. And then the promoter of the event taps me on the shoulder and says, uh, bit of a problem, Sandro. Uh, Stallone's not here yet. I, I said, what, what, what do you mean? He's not in the building. Nah, he's not even in, in, in Manchester. I said, oh, well, where is he? Um, Heathrow Airport. Heathrow Airport? What's he, what's he doing there? So the schedule had totally gone wrong. Stallone was supposed to fly in from the Cannes Film Festival that afternoon to Manchester Airport but he'd stayed a bit longer and his people had put him on the next flight to Britain to Heathrow Airport in London, thinking, well, England's such a small island, London must be next to Manchester. But so we had him in a fast car being rushed down the motorway to get to Manchester. And I had to stall uh, for a quite considerable time for all those thousands of fans chanting, we want Rocky, we want Rocky. So told them a lot of stories, gave them a free drink, Put a clip reel on the on the big screen, played it about fifteen times, and eventually he turned up. But uh, that's thank the goodness <laughs> you survived. So that's great. I'm glad you got through it. And then when he did actually turn up, how did the interview go? Well, it went great for the most part until the effects of the free drinks we'd given to the audience at the front started to kick in. And a few boozed up types in the VIP section were trying to clamber on the stage and say, let's see if you can really take a punch, Rocky. <laughs> and, and Stallone was telling me, oh, you're on your own here. So I was having to oh be my Rocky Balboa's bodyguard as well as interviewer. So I brought a swift <laughs> end to the proceedings. But, you know, I'm so privileged to have a, a front row seat to these crazy situations uh, in life. I have to take you back to something you said earlier. You asked Britney Spears on a date. What did she say? She said, <laughs> you're so funny. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> Which, if you're English and listening, is a polite way of saying, no, thank you. <laughs> yeah, well, well, you say that, James. It's not, it's not technically, you know, free Britney, you know. So. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Free Britney. Come again, <laughs> but I would say I met her back at the Pepsi chart show 20 years ago when we were both much younger, she was singing Upside Did It Again, back when she had that incredible tight red leather cat suit, which had its charms. And I'd heard all these rumors that she lip synced through performances, but she didn't. She performed live that night and was perfect. And I got all tongue-tied backstage. And rather than being the smooth composed individual you see in front of you now, came across like a, a confused early era Hugh Grant figure saying, uh, 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 Brittany, uh, if you need someone to show you around uh, London uh, whilst you're, you're here, indeed, in, in, may I offer my uh, tour guide services? So it's, uh, it's probably no surprise that she said, you're so funny and moved on to Kevin <laughs> Fenline. <laughs> Well, there's always next time, Sandro. Um, so we've got time for a quick question here. Graham Marshall. Graham, good morning. Question is, hey, Sandro, have you had any celebrity respond to your story with them in confessions of a Hollywood insider? And has it been positive or negative? 
Yes, I had somebody from Barry Manilow's team reach out uh, with an apology because I tell a story, and thank you for the question, uh, Graham. I tell a story in there that for my mother's birthday, I had flown her to Las Vegas to see in concert for the very first time her favorite singer, Barry Manilow. And there's a moment in each show where Barry calls a fan out of the audience and sings Can't Smile Without You to her. And so I had uh, tipped the maitre d' 40 bucks in the hope of saying, can you make Barry sort of point down here? It's, it's her birthday. And when Barry gets to the moment in, in the show, he says, well, raise your hand if you want to come on, on stage with me. So my mum has both hands up and is chanting, me, Barry, me, Barry, me, Barry. And, and and Barry, like the old showbiz pro, he is, well, I don't know, let's see. <laughs> and then points right through the spotlight to where my mum is. And, and despite her bad hip, she leaps from her seat and rushes to the stage like a Price is Right contestant. And, and she gets right to the front of the stage and Barry says, not you, the pretty woman behind you. And my beautiful mother oh, turns away says can we go please she's never listened to, to Barry for ever since so uh, yes I, I did get uh, an apology from uh, from Barry's team which my mother took in typical fashion by saying I don't care I'm still not listening to his records <laughs> <laughs> good old mum um, another question is coming good morning Victoria Victoria Summer thank you so much for joining us today Sandro what's the biggest Hollywood celebrity secret you've personally uncovered do oh, we need to okay. do a disclaimer before you say this. <laughs> okay. I would say, and I won't, it's interesting, I didn't want to leave anything out of the book, but also I didn't want to spend time in court. So I will give you a blind item. And that is that one of the most beloved figures in Hollywood is actually a foul-mouthed, selfish monster. And I had to share a car on the way to the CNN studio with this person who spent most of the journey berating their boyfriend over the phone, uh, berating the driver of the car and berating their own mother during the journey as well. So, uh, yes, answers on a postcard. Can you guess who that is? Generally, I found that if you have the uh, nickname America's Sweetheart, uh, you're really sweet, but it's not always true in every case. I'm so sorry I can't tell you who, but legal reasons prevent me. But thanks for the question, Victoria. That's a great question, Victoria, and a very good answer there, Sandro. We have another one. Jay Love, good morning. Sandro, question is, who do you look forward to interviewing? You've interviewed everybody. So do you want to, is this someone you want to interview again, or is this someone new that you've always wanted to get a hold of? Well, thank you. It is a great question. And I get starstruck, not around actors any, anymore, but around writers and sports stars. And this is not surprising because I've noticed when musicians meet actors, they're in awe. When actors meet musicians, they're in awe. The same with, with sports stars. And so I think that I've met so many stars now. Although I retain my enthusiasm for, for meeting them, the giddy enthusiasm, I think, comes from meeting writers as well. And I think that's because I switched a few years ago from not just writing uh, articles and stories about, about celebrities, but writing scripts, screenplays and plays as well. And I was so inspired by all the people around me. I wanted to have a go and see if I could do it as well. And 
one of the first projects I did was a story inspired by my love of Hollywood history. And it's called Marilyn and Sinatra. And uh, I wrote a play about the little known love affair that I discovered uh, that took place between 1954 and 1962, the on-off relationship between Marilyn Monroe and Frank Sinatra. And I was able to uh, tour the world with this play, uh, which starred the wonderful Erin Gavin as Marilyn Monroe and the uh, equally super Jeff Bratz as Frank Sinatra. And what an adventure. We debuted it in, in Los Angeles in Beverly Hills, close to where Marilyn and Frank first met. We took it to the Edinburgh Festival and then we even went to New York with it and to the West End of London as well at the German Street Theatre. And you were talking, James, at the start of the interview about taking, uh, always be creating and, and taking opportunities during lockdown. So one of the things that I did was be able to get the footage of the filmed footage of filmed version of that play edited by the wonderful big screen entertainment group. And now it's streaming for free. So if anyone's interested in this story and wants to watch Marilyn and Sinatra, there's a Roku channel called Big Stream, or probably easiest is just go to bigstreamentertainment.com, bigstreamentertainment.com, and Marilyn and Sinatra will come up and uh, you can watch that play. Fascinating story. And I'd so often told the stories of current Hollywood stars that I wanted to tell the stories of classic Hollywood stars. I was never lucky enough to meet Marilyn Monroe, unfortunately, but I did meet Frank Sinatra, and that's in the book as, as well. That's incredible. I, I am, I'm a massive fan of Frank Sinatra. I remember the story, you're gonna, I'm going to get the casinos wrong, but I know he was performing in a particular casino and he was losing heavily at the tables and the uh, croupier punched him in the face. And he immediately walked out the casino, walked across the street, I believe, to Caesar's Palace, signed a contract with them there and then, and that's where he stayed. It was either that or the Sands, I'm not sure, but what an incredible guy. They, they certainly didn't hold anything back when they were around. What a wonderful group of people. Sandra, the fact that you were I'm able sorry, to... sorry, James, just uh, to take you up on that point. Um, yeah. When I got to interview Frank, uh, again, he's heard every question in, in the world. So I opened by talking to him about golf. And that's how it loosens up. He doesn't want to hear another question about my way, but you start talking about his, his golf game, his favorite golfers, and then that loosens him up. And then you can go into the, into the other stuff. So when I talk about using empathy with celebrities, think about what they're most passionate about and start with that. Sorry to interrupt your question. No, not at all. No, and it's great. Uh, those kind of icebreakers, Sandra, that's why people want to talk to you because you're very warming and you know how to navigate through it. And that is why you have spoken to everybody, which is wonderful. I was just simply going to commend you on the Marilyn and Sinatra stage show, the fact that you were able to get it converted into a film as well, or have it filmed. One more time for anyone listening, can you just remind everybody of the streaming service and where they can find that? Yes, bigstreamentertainment.com. And that is associated with a film company that I work for, because I'm also work as uh, head of development for a company called Big Screen Entertainment Group. And so that's how I got the connection there. And what we're trying to do at uh, Big Screen is respond to the current challenging film environment and think how we can make sort of films and, and TV shows. And the industry is changing so much. And I talked a lot about business opportunity here. Uh, the fact is, since the pandemic started, no studio has greenlit a single $200 million movie. And that's a real change in Hollywood, because since 1975, when Jaws invented the blockbuster, there has always been these big budget uh, movies. 
And now it's an opportunity for smaller production companies to think smart rather than think big and stake their claim in the entertainment industry as as well. So yeah, that's what we're trying to do, developing TV series and films. We're uh, creating a series called Avenger Field, which is a little known story about female flying heroes in uh, World War II. And on Big Stream, the streaming channel, there's a film on there playing particularly well called Singularity Principle, which is about uh, parallel dimensions. And so we're developing that into a TV series as well. And so the journey for me has been all about storytelling, but as it's progressed over the years, I'm not just telling the stories of, of the stars, I'm telling different kinds of stories as well. And if I have any business lesson, it is align yourself with people who are supportive of you. And also an important message during this pandemic as well, don't think what people can do for me, think, how are they? Just check in with people and say, sort of, how are you? And don't have an agenda or anything, anything like that, because you'll be amazed how often that comes back to you in a, in a good way. I could not agree more with you, Sandra. I'm a massive believer, and I try to live as much by this as possible without having any expectations, no expectations. You know, the easy win from that is if you have no expectations, you cannot be disappointed. But the bigger picture of it all is if there's no expectations and if you can help someone without any expectations, it does come back to you in kind. It may not happen today, tomorrow, it may be 10 years, but it does. And you know what? The best win out of it all is the the good feeling, the, the goodwill, being an ambassador, being of service to somebody else and actually helping them. This town is built on networks. It really, really is. And it takes a lot of energy and effort to do anything anywhere in the world. LA is an interesting town, really is for me the land of opportunity. I really believe that. And after you've lived here for a while, I really do think part of your time spent should be of being service to other people. And, you know, we're delighted to have you involved with the British American Business Council, Sandro. You've been to a number of our events. You touched on something at the beginning, which is very dear to me as well, is having live events. This is a great time now, great interview with you, and thank you again for participating. But there's nothing quite like doing it in person and having an opportunity to meet people, to greet people. However that looks down the road, we're not quite sure yet. We will be back together when it's safe. But for now, this is the best that we can do. But having that in person, people need to be with people. We need that. We're not necessarily a physical touch, but the emotional touch of being there in person for other people is so huge. And I think we've all missed it. So when it is safe, and we do have a few ideas and a few things coming in the summertime, which I'm hopeful we'll all be back together. I can't wait to see you in person, Sandro, because it's just great. It's just a nice feeling. And having the opportunity for people to meet other people as well, it's nothing quite like it. And this is the place to do it. Likewise, and when we do meet, the first thing I'll do is shake your hand for understanding that the BABC is so much about connections, not just in the networking way that you suggested, but through checking in through this great podcast as well, and just letting everyone know that business continues and connection continues. And I've learned so much from the the guests that you've had uh, on the show. And in my particular industry, you had the head of Rooftop Cinema Club on. And in these times where we can't go out anywhere, the only place I've been is, you know, his drive-in movie theatres. And they're great. I know um, they're doing those at Santa Monica Airport. Uh, Arena Cine Lounge is doing them in in Hollywood as as well. What I miss 
in a, in a cinema sort of with, with others and having that collective experience. And I've noticed it so much as an awards voter as well this season, having to watch all the films on screen and, and not with a whole sort of group of people. You miss that ability to maybe discuss it sort of afterwards with everyone. But it'll be back. Cinema will never die. I know a lot of people are writing its death warrant, but you know, when television was invented, cinema faced a, a great threat. It survived. And it always will, not just because it's the cheapest form of family entertainment, but because we all strive for that need for connection. And the experience of, of watching a movie together is going to be so great. And whenever No Time to Die, the new James Bond film gets released, you know, if it's six months from now or even if it's pushed yet again, I want to see that with a crowd. That's my first I cannot point. wait. Yeah, no, mine too. You know, I was waiting for Tenet to come out and then it came out. That was a wonderful movie. I'm really cannot wait for James. I'm a massive fan of James Bond. It's so much so that I've rewatched the entire James Bond collection of movies twice mm -hmm. during this uh, lockdown. And I came to the conclusion that my, um, maybe I should ask you first, who is your favorite James Bond, Sandro, and why? My favorite James Bond is Timothy Dalton. And the reason is because he performs the James Bond character closer to that written in the books Unlike most people, I was a fan of the Ian Fleming novels before I was a fan of the James Bond film. And in a lot of cases, if you've read the book first, you think, ah, oh, the film's the film's not not like it. But uh, I think he understood that James Bond was about getting the job done, was a cold-hearted, efficient killer, and didn't have you know time for for quips. Just was hugely efficient. And uh, I loved his performance. I realise I'm in the minority, but I did an episode of my podcast, Who's the Best James Bond? And the public vote in, in that one was for Sean Connery. I, you know, I love them all, just as I've loved all the Doctor Whos, all the Sherlock Holmes and all the Hamlets. You know, it's one of those great parts that will be continually interpreted. My favourite was Timothy Dalton for those reasons. What about you, James? And has that choice changed through re-watching the movies? Thank you for asking, Sandro. Um, Timothy Dalton was an excellent James Bond. I can credit him for that. The two movies he did perform in were absolutely wonderful. I think for me, after rewatching them, I would initially would have said Roger Moore, but only in The Man with the Golden Gun, which oh I think God. is one of the best Bond movies of all. However, I have to lean on Sean Connery, and it cannot get much better than Dr. No. The one, the original, and I think the best. Although I would give a nod to George Lazenby for On Her Majesty's Secret Service, because I think that is one of the best storylines of any Bond movie at all. And I think that is a great movie. But I have to, after watching them twice, is Sean Connery. For me, the man, the original James Bond. God rest his soul. Yes, uh, on Her Majesty's Secret Service, potentially the greatest Bond movie ever. And I wonder if it will be remade uh, in future, much like Thunderball, you know, has been remade. Why not? A great film. I'm fortunate enough to have met all of the James Bonds, splendid chaps, all of them, whether it's uh, Roger Moore and may I say much more, or uh, Sean Connery, who uh, sadly never got to speak at the British American Business Council. And uh, yeah, I, uh, I love them all. And James Bond, much like the BABC, a great British institution. Thank you for that compliment, Sandra. We're delighted again to have you. And anyone listening today, I want to welcome you and thank you very much for coming along. Sandro, we're on the back end of our discussion today, mm -hmm. and I've got a couple more questions here. Anyone listening now, if you have any questions, 
feel free to go to the Q&A section at the bottom of the screen and, and write them out. But Sandro, I ask all of my guests on these live events, I ask them the same question towards the end of it, and I'd just love to know your take on it. 2020 was an eye-opener for a lot of people, and there were times where you had to dig deep and remain positive or find something to be positive on. For anyone listening now, we're obviously we're halfway through February. We're in 2021. We all have aspirations of having a wonderful year ahead of us. For those listening and those who will listen after this recording, what kind of piece of positivity can you instill in anyone listening? What would you say? What's your take on it? These words were written 80 years ago and remain true today. I look at that sign in my home every single day and take inspiration from it. You know, in, in trying times, let's take the British spirit of keep calm and carry on, or bugger on, as Winston Churchill used to, used to say, of, of course. And as I said at the start of the interview, my uh, particular mantra is ABC, always be creating. It's all about passions, isn't it? So I think if you're able to pursue your passion in life, the message is chase the passion, don't chase the money. If you're good enough at the passion, then the money will eventually come. We've all of us been stuck in dead-end jobs we didn't like. I know I have. I've been in terrible situations that I just wanted to get out of them straight away and go back to what makes you, you happy. So if there's a, a business lesson, find out what you're more passionate about than anyone else. Find out what you do better than anyone else. Pursue that and see where it leads. I cannot top that. Sandro, I absolutely love that. The keep calm and carry on, you had me there. But then the follow-up that you had to it was even better. We're in a town where it's okay to constantly reinvent yourself. I love England. I love Los Angeles as well because everyone here wants you to succeed. And everyone lifts everyone up, which is such a wonderful feeling when it happens as well. Sandra, I want to thank you very, very much for today. I appreciate you taking time out of your very busy schedule to come and chat with us. It's been an absolute delight. For those listening, I hope you've had a wonderful time. And for those listening after the fact, I hope you had a wonderful time as well. We're just delighted to have had you, Sandro. Thank you very much. And this concludes another a live event with the British American Business Council. Thank you, Sandro. Stay safe, stay smiling. Thank you for listening. Please like and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or your favourite platform. Your likes and reviews really do help us reach new listeners.